and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on Thursday, March the 29th, Monday, Thursday, four weeks on from all that snow. My goodness me, I hope you all survived. I'm Elizabeth Hill. This week's team comprises our engineer Duncan Wynn, readers around the table Judith Doherty and Audrey Luxton. Clerical work has been done by Carol Hartle and Sue Childs. And I think Duncan and Audrey are going to be doing the copying, so thanks to them. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our offering. You'll hear some emergency telephone numbers, and some of them aren't emergencies, they're just useful. What's on in the local theatres? We'll have obituaries at the end and the thought for the week. We'll open our birthday book. Yes. Um, let us know yours if we don't already. And the past week's headlines are with sunrise and sunset times. And then we'll have some stories of interest from the past week. The service is quite free to users. We are a registered charity. If, however, anyone does wish to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, WYLDS, in Worcester, WR5 1DA. And we do thank um, a donation from Mr Roger Turner. That's very kind of you. Thank you. We do like to hear from you if you have any suggestions for improvement. Add a message in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 01905 767766. But please be aware, we're not here every day. Please leave a message and wait for admin, whoever's doing admin in that particular week, to get back to you. I'm now going to hand over to Audrey for um, the useful telephone numbers. First of all, <coughs> pardon me. First of all, I'll repeat our number here at Wilds Lane, where you can leave a message if, we're, if there's no one available. 01905-767-766. Worcester Live, where you can book for the various theatre uh, performances, is 01905-611-427. The Malvern Theatre's number is 01684892277. The police for a non-emergency, their number is 101. Crime Stoppers, where you can report anonymously, 0800 555 The Worcester Hub, to do with anything to do with uh, a council, is 01905-765-765. The Norbury Theatre at Droitwich is 01905-770-154. NHS Direct, which may answer some of your queries, is 101. There's an out-of-hours medical assistance number, which is uh, between... Uh, 6 and 8 p.m. 0300 123 3211 and the Infirmary Museum is 01905 
it actually begins the 3rd, so between the 3rd and the 7th of April. At the Festival Theatre is This Is Elvis, the musical that puts the king back on the throne. Um, variety of um, times and price ticket prices, so I think you'll have to ring the box office to get anything there. From Tuesday the 10th to Thursday the 12th of April in the Forum Theatre is the smash hit Mark Bolan musical, 20th Century Boy, the musical. On the 10th to the 14th of April at the Festival Theatre is Tennessee Williams, A Streetcar Named Desire, and again a variety of times and ticket prices. On Friday the 6th of April at 7.45 is the Bootleg Beatles, uh, tickets are £34.16. It begins at 7.45. And um, the uh, Saturday, the 7th of April, the greatest hits of Motown, how sweet it is. And that is also at 7.45. Tickets £28, but there are concessions at £25.76. Um, on the also on the 13th of April is the Big Chris Barber Band. That begins also at 7:45. Um, tickets priced from £22.40 down to £19.04. And, and what else do we have? Uh, I think that's all. Looking ahead at Malvern. So again, um, number four, Malvern Theatre. Uh, Audrey has already given you. Uh, 01684 892277. Okay, so that's what's on locally, so plenty for everybody. Okay, and um, Judith now has the headlines the sunrise, sunset, and the first headline story. Thank you. All right, thank you. Uh, first headline we're damaging the drug dealers, then vigilante group snares child groomer car crashes into home woman made my life living hell gang targeted wrong house schools evacuated after threat and sun sunrise now is 6:48 a.m. and sunset is 7:37 p.m. so we're going in the right direction there and now the first headline story uh, police say they are holding back the tide to stop organized drugs gangs from other cities moving in on Worcester in September last year police launched operation blade to tackle the growing county lines problem which sees gangs from cities such as Birmingham, Liverpool and London bringing Class A drugs into Worcester. In a wide-ranging interview with Worcester News, Detective Chief Inspector Jerry Reeks-Williams and Detective Inspector Tony Garner, who leads Operation Blade, said the city would, be, would very quickly become organised gang territory and plagued by guns and knives on the streets if police lost their battle against the dealers. D.I. Garner said, This is a national problem, but it's a particularly big problem for Worcester because it's big enough to have a strong demand for drugs, 
but not big enough to have its own established, organised gangs selling drugs. It feels like we are holding back the tide. We do not have an organised crime problem in Worcester, but we could have one very quickly if we don't keep up this relentless battle against county lines dealers. Drug dealing is a business and we are disrupting their business and making Worcester somewhere that's not profitable for them. Our objective is to make Worcester a hostile and dangerous place for dealers to come and operate. They are only here to make money and we are damaging their business. D.I. Garner said officers were handing out Operation Blade business cards at the scenes of arrests and raids to let the public know what they are doing and that drug dealing won't be tolerated. The Operation Blade team is made up of eight detective constables and one detective sergeant, led by D.I. Garner. Since September, 66 suspected drug dealers have been arrested, 20 have been charged and seven have been convicted so far as part of Operation Blade, with 128 mobile phones and £18,000 in cash seized, as well as a range of weapons including knives, machetes, hammers, coshes, tasers and CS gas. DCI Reeks Williams said, We do believe that since we set up Operation Blade, there has been a marked reduction in serious crime. D.I. Garner added, It's a fact that violent crime has gone down in South Worcestershire. The stop and search tactic is proving very effective. We are recovering drugs and weapons routinely. He also said there has been, had been a big reduction in cuckooing, which is where dealers from other cities take over the home of a vulnerable person such as an addict and use the property to sell drugs. As soon as we become aware that someone has been cuckooed, we go straight in with the housing authority to offer our support, said D.I. Garner. It's a joint approach to make that address impossible for the drug dealers to use because we will go there every day. So we have had a big reduction in the number of cuckooing addresses and because we're flushing the dealers out into the open, they are on show now, which means the public can really make a difference by reporting them to us. In November last year, a report commissioned by West Midlands Police and Crime Commissioner David Jameson found that the average heroin user would commit between 200 and 260 offences a year and cost the taxpayer £62,320. DCI Reeks Williams referred to cuts in the amount of funding given to Swanswell, the charity tasked with helping drug addicts to kick the habit in Worcestershire, and added, We, as the police, are not the whole answer to the drugs problem. We are targeting the dealers. It would significantly help us if the resources were there to help the users to reduce the demand for drugs. DCI Garner added, We can maintain the position we're in now, which is that Worcester is a nice place to raise a family because we are stopping the gang settling in Worcester. But that pressure will continue to bear down on us 
until the issue of drug use is addressed. DCI Reeks Williams said that due to cuts in the number of officers in the county, police were having to prioritise which crimes they responded to first, with Operation Blade at the top of the list due to the serious harm associated with drug dealing. We are having to make decisions on a daily basis about where the greatest harm is and focus our resources there, he said. This means that sometimes deployments to other types of crime have to be delayed. For example, where meat has been stolen from a shop and the thief is long gone. We may take longer to get there. DCI Reeks Williams said that it was vital that the public reported suspected drug dealing to help police tackle the problem in the city. People can report drug dealing anonymously via Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 A sad, lonely man asked for sexually explicit photos of underage girls after a vigilante group set up fake Facebook uh, profiles uh, to snare would-be groomers, child groomers. Andrew Thompson of Brookthorpe Close Warnden made ex- sexually explicit requests and gave out his phone number, believing he was talking to girls aged under 16. In reality, he was in contact with a group called Guardians of the North, who had set up fake Facebook profiles. The 48-year-old admitted six counts of attempting or causing a child under 16 to engage in sexual activity. Martin Lydiard, prosecuting, said the Guardians of the North, based in the North East, set up the fake Facebook profiles of girls aged between 11 and 14 with photographs and information about the schools they attended before waiting and monitoring any friend requests ensuring contact was first made by the, by, by the offender. He said the purpose of these profiles was to identify online sexual groomers. Thompson made friend requests to six profiles, all purporting to be girls aged between 13 and 14 years. Mr Lydiard said they were fortunately fake names and false profiles of non-existent young girls. Grooming is a significant part of what the offence is in itself. Messages sent by Thompson to some of the girls included Are you a virgin? And how large are your breasts? He also expressed a desire to have sex with the girls, asked them about a threesome and if they wanted to know how big his penis was. He also asked if if they could take part in a video chat over his laptop and ask questions about their private parts. Mr Lydiard said slightly more sinister is in asking for phone numbers and handing out his own number. The Guardians contacted police on January the 21st, 2017 and told them they were outside the defendant's Worcester address at 6am. They handed over a sample of their evidence, including a USB drive to police. 
They found Thompson by consulting the electoral roll, Mr Lydiot said. When interviewed by police, he said there was nothing he wished to say. He'd been of previous good character. Thompson pleaded not guilty on October the 5th last year, but the case was listed for pre-trial review on February the 27th this year, when he changed his plea to guilty. William Rose, defending, said, We're not dealing with any actual children, so there's no actual victim. While there was a telephone number forwarded, there was no actual arrangement or serious attempt to meet. He added, He acknowledges and knows what he did was wrong. Mr Rose said any previous prevarication in his client's discussions with the probation probation officer were linked to the shame and stigma attached to this type of offence. He added, Mr Thompson leads quite a sad life. He's a man with few friends, very few hobbies and spends most of his time sitting indoors watching television. Judge Jim Tyndall said, It's a case which goes beyond sexual chat because it relates to providing his telephone number. It wasn't pure fantasy. Addressing the defendant directly, he said, At the time of this offence, you were a sad, lonely, isolated man with very little confidence. The fact that these were actual vigilantes pretending to be young girls has an impact, of course, on the case. No child was put at risk, but this behaviour demonstrates that you are at risk, that you are a risk. If you were prepared to do it once, the thinking is you might be prepared to do it again, and next time they might be real children you're chatting with. However, he said, there was a strong personal mitigation and a realistic prospect of rehabilitation, describing Thompson as having led a troubled life. He said an immediate prison sentence would only increase Thompson's sense of being ostracised, arguing it was far safer for the community to have him confront his offending with the assistance of courses. Judge Tyndall jailed Thompson for 18 months but suspended the sentence for two years. He must complete 25 rehabilitation activities, uh, activity days. A sexual harm prevention order, which restricts his contact with, contact with children and use of the internet, was made for a period of 10 years. He must also sign the sex offender register, also for a period of 10 years, and pay a £250 contribution towards the court costs. The judge made a forfeiture and destruction order in relation to the devices seized from Thompson by police when they searched his home. A father says he and his family are lucky to be alive after a car crashed into their family home, nearly taking his wife's head off. Mel Beattie and her 15-year-old daughter Tash are are recovering in Worcestershire Royal Hospital after the Audi A4 drove into their house in Battenhall Rise on Friday night, the 23rd of March. The family was enjoying a glass of wine and some cheese in front of the television when the car ploughed into the front of their house and ended up buried inside their lounge just before 10.30pm. Mrs Beattie, aged 53, has seven broken ribs and a punctured lung and daughter Tash 
has two broken ribs and a broken ankle. Robert Beattie, aged 61, who was unhurt in the incident, said his first concern was for his wife and daughter and he did not wish to make a comment on the driver. However, he said the male driver scarpered after the crash, climbing out of the passenger side of the vehicle. He added, I only saw the back of him. I didn't see his face. There was dust and fumes everywhere. Inside is just blitzed. We're all lucky to be alive. Mrs Beatty had been on a settee in the lounge with her back to the window when the car hit the back of it, pushing it across the room. How Mel is alive, I'll never know, said Mr Beatty. She should have had her head taken off. The settee was pushed right across the room. Tash was on a second settee and Mr Beatty was sitting next to the door, escaping any injury. He said the Audi A4 was a foot and a half from my face. He said he hoped his wife and daughter could be discharged from hospital by the end of the week, but were being kept in under observation. The family has lived at the property since 2000. The gable end of the house is now unstable and will need to be rebuilt. It, the front is boarded up and a workman was there on Saturday. Debris from the car, including part of the bonnet and tape from the fire service, could be observed at the scene. The hedge was also demolished and the lawn torn up by the tyres. One neighbour said, I'm still in shock, whilst another said the Audi was almost completely inside the house. Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service confirmed there were two casualties and one rescue and that the incident had been left with police. Utilities had to be isolated and a gas fire extinguished using one hose reel. The building was described as structurally unsound. Crews from Worcester and Droitwich attended together with the ambulance service. West Mercia Police has confirmed that there have been no arrests but a spokesperson for the force said all efforts were being made to identify him. The police are appealing for anyone with information about how the crash happened or the identity of the driver to come forward by calling 101, quoting incident reference 786S of March 23rd. A gay man has spoken of his living hell after being falsely accused of rape by a woman who became infatuated with him. The man from Worcester, whose identity we have agreed to protect, was arrested twice because of the lies of former University of Worcester student Lottie Harris, who now identifies as a man called Lucian. The complainant courageously read out his victim personal statement at Worcester Crown Court on Monday, describing how he had been scarred for life because of the false, false claims. The 23-year-old defendant, now of Romney Close, Clacton-on-Sea, Essex, had already admitted six counts of perverting the course of public justice between September the 18th, 2016 and July the 23rd, 2017. However, because the indictment drafted by the prosecution did not make any reference to the false rape accusations, the judge, Jim Tyndall, said he could not sentence Harris for this, but would treat it as an aggravating, creature, aggravating feature. Patrick Kelly, prosecuting, said Harris had made a total 
of 23 false allegations against the man, claiming he put his penis through a keyhole of her door. The man was said to have suffered an injury as a result, which meant he had to undergo a physical examination because of the lie. The complainant read out his victim personal statement. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> the complainant read out his victim personal statement describing how he had spent nearly 24 hours in a police cell because of the false claims by Harris. He said, My life has been a living hell. I feel like I have been living in limbo for the last 18 months. I did not feel anyone would believe me. Before he was arrested, he had never had conflict with, uh, contact with the police and had told the court he feared he would go to jail and that Harris's lies would damage his future job prospects. He also said how he was always looking over my shoulder to see if Harris is there and would have nightmares he was locked up in a police cell. The complainant added, I feel scarred for life. I was arrested in full view of customers and colleagues. I work quite close to my home address in Worcester City Centre and it is proved to be very embarrassing and shameful. I have lost the respect of people I work with and they saw me arrested. I don't understand why Lottie set out to ruin my life. It's not a joke to treat someone like this. The man said he had never received an apology from Harris and believed she had shown no remorse. He said, men are victims too. I hope the sentence reflects the seriousness of what she has done. She has manipulated the system to portray me as the criminal and her as the victim. It's the other way round. I don't think I will ever get back to how it was before or recover from what she has done. Patrick Kelly, prosecuting, said Harris made a number of false allegations, not all of which were reflected on the indictment itself. Mr Kelly said Harris had lied that the man had held a knife to her neck on October the 26th, 2016. The defendant made a false allegation of rape the following day and an allegation that the man threatened to slit the defendant's throat on March the 31st, 2017. However, Harris's concoctions, as the complainant himself called them, were disproved by police after they examined the evidence, which include CCTV footage and clear alibis. Harris had no previous convictions and a psychiatric report found she had emotionally unstable personality disorder and gender, gender dysphoria. Mark Savage defending said a GP had spoken to Harris before these offences took place when she had questioned her gender identity and was told, go away, you're depressed. What is clear is that this is not a young person actuated by malice. It's a young person struggling with identity. This is not a young person without qualities. This is a man who wishes to make good where he can what he has done wrong, said Mr Savage. He also praised the courageousness and elegance of the complainant's victim, per, victim personal statement. The judge said Harris now identified as a man and he would respect that, but said he wished the defendant had shown as much respect 
as his victim, whose life you made a living hell. The story starts in 2016, when you started working with the complainant. You became infatuated with him, even though he made it clear he wasn't interested, he said. The judge said Harris was a liar, who had set up fake Facebook profiles and made false complaints of rape to police, withdrawing the allegations, then pursuing them again after the man made a complaint of harassment against Harris. The judge sentenced her to two years in prison, suspended for two years, ordered her to complete 300 hours of unpaid work and ordered her to pay compensation of £2,500 to the victim. A restraining order was also imposed which prohibits Harris having contact directly or indirectly with the complainant. It also bans her from entering Worcestershire. Speaking outside court, the man said, She formed a weird romantic fixation. I said, You're a lesbian and I'm gay. I don't understand the logic behind it. People still look at me with disgust and I have done nothing wrong. My partner left me because of her. I was about to lose my job. I lost all my friends and went into depression. This was torture for me. Every day I live in fear, not knowing what allegations she will make up next. People always think women are the victims, but it can be the other way round as well. Once you're scarred, you never heal. It's a recurring nightmare. It goes through my head over and over again. He attacked the sentence of the judge after the hearing. Two and a half thousand pounds, really? Is that what I'm worth? I'm very disappointed in the punishment. Justice was not served. It does not cover two years of trauma, turmoil and tragedy I have suffered. I feel she should have gone to prison, he said. A couple who believe they were mistakenly targeted by a gang have made a desperate plea for the vandals not to return as they've got the wrong house. Rita Parry, age 38, and Steve Carlton, 63, say £4,000 worth of damage was caused after the windows of their Friesland close home and the car windows were smashed. Police are investigating the incident, which has dumbfounded the couple and made them fear the offenders may return. The retired couple, who have decided to go public to, in an attempt to prevent a repeat, said they were woken up in the early hours by the sound of glass being smashed earlier this month, before the vandals escaped. The rear five windows of their property and on the back door were smashed, as well as the windows of their two cars. Our neighbour's CCTV caught three of them who carried out the damage. It was definitely a planned attack, Mrs Parry said. They tried to smash the patio door in. They couldn't get in, so nothing was taken. They're sending a message to someone, but it's obviously not us. It's a case of mistaken identity. They need to realise that they've got the wrong people. They've got the wrong house. We feel vulnerable as they could come back. Police say CCTV footage from houses in the area show a silver vehicle similar to a Citroen Zara drive into the cul-de-sac and shortly afterwards three people can be seen walking towards the couple's property. 
The three are later seen to run from the property in the direction of Drover's Way. The police add two further vehicles of interest are a silver Honda Civic and a silver Kaya uh, Seed. If that's how it's pronounced, Seed, C-E-E-D. Mrs Parry said there's no description of the men due to the dark pictures on the CCTV and said they were the only ones targeted in the close, which is near to Tudor Grange Academy. Mr Carlton added, the windows have been boarded up, but it will be another week before a glazier can come and replace the windows, adding to the couple's frustration. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said patrols have been stepped up in the area to reassure neighbours who called police during the incident, which happened at 2.30am on Saturday, March the 17th. Police are appealing to anyone who saw the vehicles in the area at the time or anyone who has any further CCTV. PC Mandy Gregg said, The couple were understandably very upset by the incident, which appears to be well orchestrated. They have no idea why anyone should target them. I would suggest that this was a case of mistaken identity. Anyone with information is asked to call police on 101, quoting 101S... 170318. And the final headline story this week concerns four schools in Worcestershire who were evacuated after an email was sent out warning pupils would be harmed as they left school in the afternoon. Parents were asked to pick up students early from Red Hill Primary School, while three schools in Evesham also received the email. The threat, described by police as not credible, was part of a wider series of emails sent to schools across the country. The email contained a threat to harm children by knocking them over or shooting them. Parents at Redhill Primary School in Midhurst Close were asked to collect their children at 1.30pm and told this was due to a security issue, although parents were not given any further details. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said police received a number of reports of malicious hoax communications made to educational establishments and schools in the West Mercia policing area. Investigations are ongoing and at this stage we do not believe there to be a credible threat. We take hoaxes extremely seriously. They divert limited police resources and cause disruption and alarm to the public. We are committed to identifying those responsible for such actions and bringing them to justice. The email sent to schools read, You have a choice here. You can ignore this email and risk the lives of the students you say you care for, or you can listen to what we are telling you. The only way out is to go out with a bang. A car will drive into as many students as possible as they try to leave. If you try and evacuate, then the driver will get out and shoot any students leaving. On our Facebook page, parents praised staff at Redhill Primary. Kerry MacDonald said, Redhill did an amazing job at getting the kids out. Stress-free and my children are none the wiser of the situation. Hazel Moore said, 
At least we were able to get our children home safely. Next time, it might not be a hoax. Redhill Primary's head teacher Spencer Morris, declined to comment. This is the second time that schools have been targeted with a threatening email. Just over a week ago, a similar malicious email was sent to 400 schools in the country. On that occasion, Newbridge Short Stay School in Midland Road and Nunnery Wood Primary School in Prestwich Avenue were targeted. A spokesman for Worcestershire County Council said a number of schools in Worcestershire received hoax threats by email, but we won't be commenting further or confirming individual schools targeted. Anyone with information about the emails or any other of the incidents should call police on 101 or uh, they can contact Crime Stoppers on 0800 one. And that concludes the headline stories. Um, and we're now going to have a roundup of the news stories from this week. Thank you. Okay. West Mercia Police requires improvement, according to inspectors, who have been looking at the force's effectiveness. Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary and Fire and Rescue Service, HMICFRS, has published its report on police effectiveness for the force. The force was rated inadequate for the way in which it handles serious and organised crime and requires improvement overall. The judgment was made following an inspection last September. West Mercia Police Chief Constable Anthony Bangham said, West Mercia Police is committed to ensuring we are a highly effective police force and we clearly accept there are areas where we can strengthen our approach. Although we are disappointed that HMIC FRS felt we had not responded well enough to previous recommendations, There were several examples in the inspection of positive work ongoing across the force area. This included recognition for the force's work to understand the signs of vulnerability and our investigations involving vulnerable people. We are pleased to see this as it clearly reflects the force's aim to focus on protecting the most vulnerable people in our communities. Accepting as an organisation we were not we were not where we should have been last year in respect to the areas inspected i am confident that significant focus has been given to addressing the areas highlighted by hmicfrs we police a large geographic area with a diverse range of issues and concerns affecting our communities Tackling and preventing crime can only be achieved by working in partnership with local people and partners. Therefore, we have particularly focused our attention on strengthening this during the last six months, such as through the establishment of serious organised crime joint action groups. We now have much better partnership structures in place, focused on identifying the specific issues in each community, working with the appropriate partners and addressing these using a range of approaches and tactics to disrupt and reduce criminal activity. 
In April this year, the force will introduce a refreshed policing model which will ensure a better alignment of our officers and staff to the times of highest demand for our services, ensuring we have the right people available at the right time to deliver the best possible protection to our communities. This new model ensures clear focus on identifying criminal activity, arresting the offenders and protecting vulnerable victims. We will continue to work closely with all our communities to ensure we understand and prioritise the issues which concern them most. In addition, since our inspection, the force has also implemented new technology and systems which ensure our officers and staff are better equipped with the best information to prevent and detect crime. With the progress we have already made, I am confident that we are comprehensively addressing all the HMICFRS's recommendations. County legend Norman Gifford was re-elected club president for the second term of 12 more months at Worcestershire, Worcestershire's AGM. Former skipper Gifford, who picked up 2,068 first-class wickets, played tribute to the firsts for gaining promotion to Specsavers County Championship Division 1. He also highlighted the contribution of academy coach Elliot Wilson in helping to develop the conveyor belt of young talent at the Black French New Road. Gifford said, It's been a great honour to be president for the past year and I've loved every minute of it. We did brilliantly in the 50 over stuff. Joe Joe Leach, the skipper, and Kevin Sharp, new head coach, know we weren't brilliant in the T20, but the championship cricket was outstanding. We went into the last four games of the season needing to win two home matches. We did that and played some very good cricket. But for me, the highlight of the season was going to Fortress Trent Bridge to a very good side in Nottinghamshire and we played some of our best cricket in those four days. It was a brilliant result and proved to you, county members Joe and all the players, that we deserved our position in Division 1. It was a Division 1 performance and then we won our last game at Worcester without any problems. Gifford continued, One of the enjoyments for me as president was going with Elliot to see some of the academy boys in action and there are some very talented young cricketers coming through. Elliot does a magnificent job and is to, be, is to be congratulated for the work he does with our young cricketers. Worcestershire Chairman Stephen Taylor and Head of Audit Thanos Hera were re-elected as non-executive additional directors for the 2018-2019 season at the AGM. Ex-County Paceman and Satellite Academy coach Paul Pridgen was re-elected for another three years as a board member. Andrew Manning-Cox, who has played a key role, role in changing to the uh, key role in changes to the club's rules and constitution, will join the board from May the seventh. Former County opening batsman Gordon Lord was elected to serve as a replacement director for Neil Radford. <coughs> Richard Law, who is a senior partner of national property consultancy Bruton Knowles, will also, will also join the board. 
The county's Brett D'Oliveira and Joe Clark impressed in the second match of the North-South series in Barbados. Opener Clark struck 71 from 58 balls with nine overs and two sixes, while D'Oliveira top-scored with 79 from 83 with five fours and two sixes. D'Oliveira also took one for 44 from eight overs with his leg spin as the North claimed their first win over the South at the fifth attempt. It's a great feeling to have got the win, said D'Oliveira, who was following in his grandfather's footsteps, as Basil also scored a half-century at the Kensington Oval in an England Test Series win 50 years ago. It is time for Worcester Warriors to wake up from their slumber or else they could find themselves in deep trouble. It, if defeats to London Irish and Leicester Tigers were not enough um, and the score at the weekend was Sale Sharks 58, Worcester Warriors 25, by the way. Um, if those defeats were not enough to cause concern, this heavy loss at the hands of Sale Sharks should send alarm bells ringing. And with four games left and bottom club Irish showing no signs of giving up, Worcester cannot afford to press the snooze button. The fight for survival is still alive, with the exiles cutting the gap to ten points and boss Alan Solomons must find a way to turn the tide. After the euphoria of beating Exeter Chiefs and the glory of downing Gloucester, Warriors have not looked like winning and were ruthlessly swept aside by Sharks who ran in eight tries. There is no doubt the loss of influential duo Francois Hugard and Ryan Mills with ankle injuries has not helped their cause. Worcester were also without Chris Pennell and Sam Lewis for the trip to sail following Knox in training. But nothing should excuse the way they fronted up at the AJ Bell Stadium. They missed tackles, 16 coming in the first half alone, and conceded numerous turnovers to hand-sail the initiative. With scrum half Faf de Klerk pulling the strings, full-back Mike Haley proving difficult to stop, and number eight Josh Strauss adding firepower up front, Sharks deservedly finished resounding winners. Josh Adams bagged a double to keep himself at the top of the try-scoring charts, and Jackson Willison touched down late on as Warriors threatened to claim a losing bonus point. But far too many players performed well below par to go toe-to-toe with Sale, who got off to a stunning start. After Bryce Heem dropped the ball, Sharks went wide and Haley and Bryn Evans linked up to send Ben Curry clean through inside two minutes. AJ McGinty converted. The hosts then notched a second courtesy of a brilliant counter-attacking move. Marland Yard gathered the ball deep inside Warriors' half before offloading to Haley, who released de Klerk to scamp home. McGinty missed the conversion but landed a penalty on 15 minutes as Sale went 15-0 ahead. Jamie Shilcock closed the gap with two penalties, but Worcester were down to 14 men at this point after Darren Barry's sin-binning for a pullback, and Sale soon exploited the extra space. Haley was once again the provider as he fed Yard, who cut inside Willison before going over on 32 minutes. Sharks then wrapped up the bonus point by half-time, when Andre Oris. 
Shukoff, Shukoff a weak tackle from Ben Teo and teed up J- Denny Solomona to score. McGinty converted both to give his side a 29-6 lead. Warriors hit back after the break as Adams intercepted a pass from de Klerk and ran in from well inside his own half. Shilcock added the extras, but the visitors then switched off as Haley collected a kick and cut through Worcester's defence with ease to go over. McGinty converted. Sale were well on top and added two further scores as Strice powered over following a maul before Brian McGuigan latched onto McGinty's kick upfield and dotted down. McGinty converted. Despite the 48-13 deficit, Warriors plugged away and Adams not notched his second, which Sam Olver improved from the tee. After de Klerk slotted a penalty, he then converted James O'Connor's close-range try, but Warriors had the final say, as Alafoto Fadasilvia set up Willison for another consolation score. Oh, dear. Chairman Anthony Hampson insists... The door is open for disgruntled supporters to help to shape Worcester City's future on the back of Saturday's protest against the board. Around 16 people gathered behind or near a large banner which read Stop Killing Our Club, Hampson and Board Out, during City's nil-nil draw with Boldmere St Michael's at the Victoria Ground. The protest was peaceful and silent, with the sign on display for spells in the first and second half, before being kept on show as the protesters headed towards the exit at full time. It comes at the back end of City's fifth season in exile and amid continued losses that jumped to more than £290,000 in the financial year up to May 2017 figures which came to light at the end of last month. One of the demonstrators was Richie Stringfellow, a 54-year-old shareholder, Worcester City Supporters Trust member and fan of more than 40 years. It is quite obvious the board does not have the best interests of the club at heart, said Stringfellow. We want to see full disclosure of the accounts the shareholders and fans, not just to the supporters' trust's financial advisor. It is about everyone and we want answers. This is the fans talking, not the supporters' trust, which needs to stay neutral. A lot of fans in this ground feel the same. The chairman said he would walk away, but then it came with the proviso of investment I would like to know how much money he has put in, not raised, put in personally. Stringfellow argued the club should convert to a community benefit society, CBS, and that such status would make more funding streams available to aid City's push for a stadium in Worcester. He added he would only attend future matches in order to support protests. I was going to stop coming a couple of weeks ago, but then I heard about this. I don't want to carry on funding the club under the current board, said Stringfellow. 
It is difficult because I fully support John Snape, the manager, and the players. A couple of weeks ago, they found out the club could go fully amateur, and that sparked an exodus. The timing of that at this stage of the season, and just before the transfer deadline, was absolutely ridiculous. Hampson declined to respond directly to Stringfellow's comments, but on the protest said... I'm delighted to have an extra 16 supporters through the turnstile. I can understand the frustration of anyone with the problems we are having at the club. It has been extremely difficult to keep the club going while trying to find a new home in the city. I think the current board has done its very best to keep the club alive and any people who are determined to criticise and undermine those efforts are very welcome to come and help. We need volunteers and fundraising. If people don't want to raise funds for the Worcester City, they could pay it directly towards the players, for example. We are all determined to do our very best and hope the fans keep coming to the games. I think we are all tired of abuse via social media. It has to be remembered that directors work voluntarily. We do so continuously and probably put in 30 hours per week for nothing. As I have said before, if other people want to come in and do a better job, then let them. The door is open for suggestions for moving forward, raising money and everything else that goes with running a vibrant club. All we are doing at the moment is keeping the club alive until we get back to Worcester. That's all we can do. Journey times could be cut along a notoriously busy route after councillors agreed to build a new bridge over the River Severn alongside the Carrington Bridge. The two-lane stretch of the A4440 Southern Ring Road between Powick and Ketch roundabouts will also become a dual carriageway. Worcestershire County Council's planning committee gave permission for the plan. Work on the £62 million bridge will take two years from next March and will see 100 trucks a day bringing in 150,000 tonnes of embanking material. Mark Gorry, Associate Director of Engineering Consultancy firm Burroughs, told councillors, these improvements should make a 35 to 54% reduction in journey times for those people travelling on the A4440. This will draw traffic away from Worcester city centre, cutting down congestion in the city. Relieving congestion in Worcester is the key objective. The report by Worcestershire County Council said that reduced congestion could make the city more attractive to both commuters and other members of the public and could add up to 3,000 new jobs in the city. At the meeting, concerns were raised about flooding the state of the underpass to be renovated at Ketch Roundabout and about the impact on traffic, often already congested, that the works may cause on the roads. Mr Gorry said that the new bridge would be constructed with a 1.5 metre gap from the existing bridge, which would continue to be used for traffic in both directions until its counterpart was complete. Poet resident Jerry Taggart urged planners to create a more ambitious pedestrian and cycle bridge for the Poet roundabout. 
Currently, the plans show a bridge to be built over the Hams Way, just to west of the Poic roundabout. Walkers and cyclists will cross the roads running north and south by light-controlled crossings. Mr Taggart said, Cyclists and pedestrians will still have to run the gauntlet of crossing very busy roads at a level crossing. There will be conflicts with vehicles. Councillor Ken Pollock, a Cabinet Member for Economy and Infrastructure, said, This is critical in linking trade up to the M5 at Junction 7. This is the missing link in the chain. It's vital for trade from West Worcestershire, but also Herefordshire and for Wales to get onto the motorway. Two people were arrested as police raided three cannabis farms in Droitwich. Police smashed down doors of homes in Dovecot Road and Wye Close at around 9.20am on Thursday, March the 29th. As part of a planned operation and a further house in Ombersley Road was raided after information was uncovered at Wye Close. Officers found almost 60 plants at the house in Dovecot Road as part of a professional cannabis growing setup, many of which were close to harvest. After smashing down part of the front door at the house, officers found all the marking makings of a cannabis farm, including large ventilation pipes that stretched up the stairs and into the loft, water pipes and dozens of lamps. Every room on the first floor of the house had cannabis plants growing within them. While nobody was present at the house when police raided, a large flat-screen TV, PlayStation, dozens of Blu-ray DVDs and clothes in the living room showed somebody had been present there. Every window at the house had been completely covered with net curtains. Police were made aware of suspicious activity at the two houses and believe the cannabis farms in Droitwich are just a small piece of a wider drug network jigsaw. Inspector Gareth Morgan said, If you are involved in drug supply or cultivation, we will catch up with you and will take positive action. I also appeal to the community to be vigilant of this activity and to report anything suspicious to their local policing team. Call 101 or Crime Stoppers. Two people were arrested at the house in Wyclose. Police also believe the two houses in Droitwich, which were part of the planned raid, have ties to drug gangs in Manchester. The equipment used to grow cannabis in the houses will be dismantled and the cannabis destroyed. A new High Sheriff of Worcestershire has been appointed. At a ceremony, Mr Justice Jeremy Baker passed the mantle to High Sheriff Cassian Roberts. He takes over the role from Stephen Betts. In line with tradition, the Queen has hand-pricked his name onto an official list with a silver bodkin said to have been owned and used for the same purpose by Queen Elizabeth I. In a ceremony at Buckingham Palace, Her Majesty used the bodkin to prick the name of Cassian Roberts of Shelsley Beecham, along with the names of the other men and women who have become the country's high sheriffs onto the list. The modern-day form of the ceremony dates back to the reign of Queen Victoria, 
but the office of High Sheriff stretches back farther. Shire Reeves, as they were originally known, were appointed for each county and, once a year, had to give account of the money they had collected to the reigning monarch. Today's High Sheriffs no longer collect money for the monarch and the majority of their traditional powers are now vested in Lord Lieutenants, High Court Judges, Magistrates, Local Authorities, Coroners or the Inland Revenue. The post is now almost entirely ceremonial, with the only significant legal function functions related to enforcement of High Court writs. Controversial plans to build a bell tower and a state-of-art performing arts centre at a Worcester school have received £750,000 funding, but, a mystery, but mystery surrounds who has donated the money. The source of the money for the 24-metre tower with 12 bells at Christopher Whitehead Language College in St John's has not been revealed. Head teacher Neil Morris told the Worcester News, We are not at liberty to share who has provided the funding. Private funding is private. Planning permission for the £5 million project, which also includes a theatre, was given the go-ahead last month. The project will see the tower used to teach, bell, teach pupils bell ringing, with other ringers also being able to use the facility. Christopher Whitehead will be the only state school in the country to have such facilities on site. Work on the project is to start next year, and the company behind the Bell Tower's design is currently looking for more private investment to fund the scheme. Mr Morris said, This entire performing arts centre will make an incredible difference to our students and the breadth of what we can offer through the curriculum. We believe that students should have every opportunity to learn and we aren't afraid to provide a unique offer to benefit our students. He added, This is now a great cultural and educational opportunity to become the first state school to have a non-intrusive, soundproofed, beautiful bell tower and I really appreciate the enthusiasm and commitment shown by private investors to date. Designer Mark Martin, director of One Creative Environments Limited, added, We are delighted with the response from the private sector. He added that rumours that Worcester Cathedral or a local benefactor had given the money were not true. The funding was announced during MIPIM, an international property market event in Cannes. A technical design plan, sponsorship package and promotional document will be created over the next few months. Residents who live near the school have opposed the bell tower as they fear the noise will be disruptive. Now we have um, a little bit of history which I, I thought you might be uh, interested in. Um, it's actually, um, the piece is written by Mike Price, but it actually comes from David Hallmark. So, in a list of not a lot of people know that, it would probably come fairly high up. Well, have you ever heard of the Treaty of Worcester 1218? No, me neither. 
Yet the document, which celebrates its 800th anniversary this year, is being championed as a blueprint for solving issues between warring neighbours in the 21st century, the forerunner of the modern two-state solution. Local historian and retired lawyer David Hallmark explained, The Treaty of Worcester deserves remembering for its attempt to prevent warfare between England and Wales as neighbouring states who should be acting in harmony, in strategic alliance and not in constant harassment. Contemporary separatists' movements continue today and through studying the treaty, the lessons of history can be learnt. The reason Worcester was chosen as the place for a peace meeting was most likely because at one time it was on the front line. According to ancient maps, the boundary of what we now know as Wales came down to the River Severn. Whenever the annual rugger match between the two countries came on the telly, (laughs) residents in St John's were cheering for Sam Warburton's team. Hmm, telly in 1218? Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. Mr Hallmark added that in modern times the world has been riven by conflict between neighbours. Catalans and the Kurds and the Palestinians all have their own ambitions, as Tibetans and Biafrans and Ukrainians have sought their own independence, and there are many other examples. Separatist movements are part of our daily news. The lesson of the Treaty of Worcester 1218 is the lesson of good intentions. Is it possible to engage in dialogue and to work towards a peaceful solution with mutual respect for the separate territory and development of the neighbour? The intent of the treaty was to stabilise relations between England and Wales and it was signed on the second Sunday after the day on Ash Wednesday. Got that? An invitation signed for the English Council of Ambassadors and of William Marshall, Guide and Regent of the Realm in Exeter on February the 12th, 1218, was addressed to Llewellyn, Prince of Wales, and stated, in health and love, the expectation of meeting at Worcester, to receive your homage and to come in safety, and to all those attending to return home safely to your country. Sadly, history tells us the 1218 Pact did not last long and bloody conflict was to come. The list of Anglo-Welsh wars is long until the two armies nearly came to blows but stood down at Woodbury Hill near Great Whitley in 1405. The leaders then being Owen Glendower of Wales and Henry IV of England. The final fight was at Harlech in 1409. The relationship between England and Wales has intermingled histories with many other links to Worcester. Henry Tudor of Wales became Henry VII of England in 1485 and his eldest son Arthur buried in Worcester Cathedral in 1502, as was King John. Mr Hallmark added... Was the Treaty of Worcester 1218 ahead of its time in recognising the separation of states as separate communities, only to trade together, not to live together? The two-state concept is a construct merging history and law. The history of the differences is blended into a pact for coexistence. 
a piece, perhaps fragile, and just a piece of paper, becomes a bond of behaviour. If one party breaches the agreement, the bond is broken and the historic enmity revived. If the rule of law is so abused that its effect is lost, then there would be a civil war. It did happen in Worcester in 1642 and finished in Worcester in 1651, as we know. American politicians Adams and Jefferson, who were later both presidents, on their visit to Worcester, 1786, realised the importance of the 1651 battle and victory against tyranny. That battle and that victory remains as much a part of Worcester heritage as its historic 1218 treaty, designing the two-state solution that is so very much needed today. Well, not a lot of people know that, but we do now. (laughs) Thank you, David. Right, Worcester Festival Choral Society and its stand-in conductor have been praised by the Mayor of Worcester, Steve Mackay, for delivering a brilliant concert performance at Worcester Cathedral last Saturday. A choral society spokesman said, the 140-strong choir brought a welcome breath of spring to the cathedral by singing Haydn's exciting celebration of the natural world, the creation, to an audience of 350 music lovers. The same work the Society sang at its inaugural concert in 1862. Performing alongside us were international soprano, BBC proms and TV star Sarah Fox, tenor John Bowen, bass Edward Seymour, and the Meridian Sinfonia Symphony Orchestra. Ben Cooper, chairman of Worcester Festival Choral Society, added, This event was all the more memorable thanks to the energy of the chorus and exquisite soloist singing. The talking point of the evening was the masterful conducting of the Society's accompanist, the Deputy Director of Music, at Worcester Cathedral, Christopher Alsop, who stood at short notice for the choir's usual conductor, Dr Peter Nardone, who was unwell. The Society's next event is a Come and Sing Verdi's Requiem workshop day on Saturday, April 7th at Worcester College Hall. Details and tickets from... Worcester Festival Choral Society dot org dot uk stroke cam dash and dash sing dash events. The managing director of First Worcestershire says the service does not have an image problem and says changes to the buses serving Henwick will soon resolve residents' concerns. Nigel Eggleton was speaking at a, a tea and pastry morning where changes were, where changes were being promoted and residents raised concerns on the services. From last weekend, First Worcester is increasing frequency with services serving Henwick operating up to every 20 minutes during the day, an increase from the previous 30 minutes. 
One of the reasons for the frequency increase is that buses have been at capacity due to weight restrictions on the bridge at Coma Road. Mr Eggleton said the services operating under the new route numbers 31U during University of Worcester term times and 31A at other times will help with the problems residents had raised. We are hearing about the various problems residents have suffered since the service was changed at the end of October, he said. Our team will give every effort to achieve 20 minutes. But with the level of congestion at the city at the moment, there may be times when we struggle to achieve that. Worcestershire County Council leader Simon Garakti added there had been a very good turnout for the event and they would continue to work with the bus operator for a service people could be happy with. Well, today we're recording on a Monday, Thursday, and a retired official of Worcester Cathedral was set to meet the Queen for the ancient Monday money ceremony. Raymond Fowler and his wife Elizabeth have been invited to take part in the ritual at St George's Chapel, Windsor. The first Monday money ceremony took place in the reign of Charles II. Now the recipients are chosen for the Christian service they have given to church and community. At the ceremony, the Queen hands each recipient two small purses, a red one containing ordinary coins and a white one containing silver Monday coins. Mr Fowler served for many years as Custos of Worcester Cathedral, a post now known as Head Verger. He has also worked with the Church's Conservation Trust, looking after St Swithin's Church off Worcester High Street. He said that he was looking forward to taking part. The ceremony actually took place in Worcester Cathedral in 1980, the year I came to the cathedral, but I missed it because I did not start until June, he said. It was originally held every year at Westminster Abbey, but more recently it is held in different churches and cathedrals across the country, presumably to give better coverage. And attending the Queen today, I know, was our Bishop um, from Worcester, the Reverend Dr John Inge. The leading lights of the local community will sleep in the city's rugby stadium to raise funds for the homeless. More than 60 volunteers plan to take part in the CEO Sleep Out at Six Ways Stadium on Tuesday, April the 26th. The participants include business executives and charity bosses from across the city and even the Bishop of Worcester, the Don, Dr John Inge. Bishop John said, The scale of homelessness in our country is shocking. It is a terrible indictment upon us. While I am not looking forward to spending one night in my sleeping bag in the cold, at least I can go back to my warm bed the following night. I am pleased to help draw attention to the issue of homelessness and, in a very small way, help to alleviate the problem. Some of the other volunteers taking part include Gus Mackay, CEO of Worcester Warriors, Ben Mannion, Director of Hewitt Recruitment, Gareth Hughes, Head Teacher of RGS, The Grange, and Phoebe Dawson, Manager of Worcester Business Improvement District, which is BID. 
A spokesman for CEO Sleepout said, All money raised from the Sleepout will be used to fight the causes and effects of homelessness by Warriors Community Foundation, alongside St Paul's Hostel, who do great work in Worcester. The vast majority of funds raised will stay within boundaries of this awesome city and help Worcester to become an even better, fairer and stronger place. Carol Hart, head of Worcester Warriors Community Foundation, added, I can't wait to take part in the CEO sleepout. This is something very close to my heart. We work a lot with the city's homeless and young people in extreme poverty. Although we won't come close to experiencing true homelessness, we fully understand the seriousness of the situation and how much worse it is getting. CEO Sleepout wants business leaders from across Worcester to take part in the event by signing up on its website ceosleepoutuk.com slash Worcester. Right, we're coming to the end of our recording for uh, this week. Um, so uh, I have one um, reminder for you, and that's about Talking Books Library. Um, and this is just a reminder that we do have an extensive library of talking books, fictions, thrillers, romance. Um, they're available in many formats. They're on tape, a CD or USB stick. Um, depends on what you um, ask for. They're not all on CD or USB, to be fair. We can provide a list of books in the library in large print, hard copy, tape or USB sticks. So you can leave a message on the answer phone or put a note in your Talking News wallet. Um, I'll remind you of the phone number again, 01905 767766. I now have the um, obituaries for this week, followed by the thought for the day and the birthdays. Okay. So the um, announcements from the past week. Ivy Muriel Matthews of Worcester passed away on March the 7th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, April the 3rd at 10am. Donations, if desired, for Wings for Life Spinal Cord Research Foundation can be left on the plate or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Also on the 3rd of April is the um, funeral service of Thelma Sarah, known as Sally Smith, who passed away on the 2nd of March. The funeral is at 11 o'clock on the 3rd at Lower Broadheath Church, followed by a committal at Worcester Crematorium at 12.15pm. Donations, if desired for Alzheimer's Society, can be sent to AV Band Funeral Directors um, in St John's. Uh, Brian Butterworth passed away on March the 5th. Um, his funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, April the 5th at 1 o'clock. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice can be left on the collection plate or sent to EJ Gummery and Son. Details as before. Now, there are three services actually on April the 4th. Edward Arthur Beddle passed away at St Richard's on March the 17th. 
His funeral is actually on Wednesday, April the 4th at 11.30am at St Lawrence Church, Witchenford. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be left at church or sent to Worcester Funeral Service, Unit 6, Kilbury Drive, Worcester, WR5 2NE. Douglas Bennett passed away at the Lawns Nursing Home on March the 8th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Wednesday, April the 4th at 11.30am. Donations, if desired, for the British Heart Foundation can be left at the service or sent to the Cooperative Funeral Care, 17 Lowesmore, Worcester, WR1 2RS uh, and cheques made payable to the charity, please. Linda Wendy England passed away March the 11th, age 61. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, April the 4th at 12.15pm. Donations for Midland Air Ambulance or Pancreatic Cancer Research can be left on the collection plate or sent to EJ Gumry and Son. Details as before. Isabella Graham Hall Ballard passed away at Shaw Red Hill Care Home on March the 20th. A memorial service will be held on Friday, April the 6th at St Martin with St Peter Church, London Road, Worcester at 12 noon. No other details there. Norman Morris Dunkley passed away on February the 28th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Chapel, Friday, April the 6th at 1pm, followed by private interment. Donations in aid of Acorns Children's Hospice can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son. Details as before. Patricia Hall of Northwick passed away March the 9th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, April the 9th at 10.45am. Donations for Alzheimer's Society can be left on the plate or sent to E.J. Gumry and Son. Details as before. Richard John Mosley passed away on the third, sorry, the fourth of March. His funeral service is on April the 9th at Worcester Crematorium at 12.15pm. Donations for British Heart Foundation and Cancer Research UK can be left on the plate or sent to Worcester Funeral Service in Kelby Drive. Those details have already been given. Richard Joseph Fogarty passed away on March the 11th. His funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, April the 11th at 1.45pm. Donations for Cancer Research UK can be left on the plate or sent to George Crump and Son, 3233 Hanbury Road, Droitwich, WR9-8PW. Anne Plester passed away March the 7th. Funeral service at St Stephen's Church, Barbon on Friday, April the 13th at 12 noon, followed by private committal at Worcester Crematorium. Donations for Worcester Deaf Children's Society can be left on the plate or sent to EJ Gumray and Son. Sean Wilmot passed away March the 3rd. 
Funeral service on Tuesday, April 17th at 10am at Worcester Crematorium. Donations for Parkinson's UK can be sent to Hoskins Family Funeral Services, 129 Astwood Road, Worcester, 01905 27862 is the telephone number. Muriel Jeffs passed away peacefully March 13th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Wednesday, April the 18th at 3.15pm. Donations, if desired, for the National Osteoporosis Society or UNICEF can be left on the plate or sent to the Cooperative Funeral Care, um, 17 Lowesmore, Worcester, WR12RS, payable by cheque to the charity. John Henry Wells, who passed away March the 15th, his funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, May the 2nd at 10.45am. <coughs> that is a very long way away, May the 2nd. Donations for West Midlands Ambulance Service can be left in the collection box or sent to cooperative funeral care details as before. Our thoughts and prayers are with all of those who have lost loved ones recently. And the thought for the day is taken from St John's Gospel, chapter 19, verses 16 to 19. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And now we'll have some birthdays. Yes, first of all, um, we must wish a, a, a belated birthday um, greeting for Barbara Roberry whose um, birthday is the 28th of March. And three more birthdays. The 1st of April, Eileen Jones. The 2nd of April, John Deakin. And the 5th of April, Derek Nicklin. So we wish you all very happy birthdays. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And in signing off, can I wish you all a very happy and peaceful Easter, and it just remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to thank Duncan Wynne, Judith Doherty and Audrey Luxton for their contributions, and see you in a month's time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.